book of Luke this morning. Took uh, several weeks off there around Easter and following up Easter. We've been out of it for about seven weeks, I think, now. But uh, really excited to get back into it. And uh, we're getting back into some really exciting stories, some stories that have a lot of life in them, and they're really exciting to cover. And so it's going to be fun to cover some of these miracles of Jesus and some of the things that Jesus did. And that's where we are, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And if you want to, you can open up your Bibles there. Uh, and, uh, and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, then you can uh, follow along on the screen. We'll have a lot of stuff on the screen for you to follow along with. As well, you've got your bulletin where you can uh, write down some notes and hopefully fill in some blanks and, and help, help these things sink in to your mind. This isn't just knowledge that we share on Sundays so that you can feel better about having gone to church on a Sunday morning, but we actually want this stuff to apply to our lives, that our lives would be changed because of what God is doing uh, by listening and receiving his truth. So that's what we're talking about this morning, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been through something and found yourself, as a result of going through this thing, you wonder, is God good? Have you ever gone through a struggle or something really difficult and found yourself asking, if God is good, why is this happening? Or maybe you phrase the question like this in your mind, how could a good God let so many bad things happen? And certainly a good question that has come up so many times throughout history is, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? Is God good? Is God good? It's a question I want to try to talk about this morning. We're not going to answer it in its entirety, but we're going to try to get to it in the context of this story in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came, man came to him, Jesus, who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed down with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered the man to tell no one, but commanded him, Go and show yourself to a priest and bring the offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds were gathered together to hear and to be healed of their illnesses. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Jesus was in one of the towns, and the leper came up to him. We don't really have leprosy anymore, at least not that, we, that we're really well known. And uh, we have lots of diseases, lots of things, but but I was trying to help uh, give us a picture of it, and, and maybe the best, the best picture that we could give wouldn't be quite this extreme, but if you've watched TV and some of the uh, hospital shows that are on TV, you've probably seen a burn victim come in, right? And then and the burn victim is just kind of covered and head to toe and a sore and a wound. And that's kind of the picture that we're getting at here in this, in this picture of this man today is because he is covered with leprosy. Leprosy was just, was just kind of a sore, and there were different, different kind of skin diseases that were classified under the category of leprosy, so we don't know exactly which one this man had, but we know that he was covered 
with it. He was covered with leprosy. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came to him who was covered with leprosy. We know his condition, but we don't know his name. We know him as the leper. That's how we know him. In fact, in, in all of the accounts of the story that are in the other, other tellings of the story in, in Matthew and Mark where we see this as well, we just know him as the leper. He's the guy with leprosy. He's one of the guys in the colony outside of the town. We know him by his condition, not his name. We know him by his issue, not his name. Sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it, where we become known by our issue or by our condition instead of who we are. We, get, we become known by our issue or our condition instead of our identity. And so here we have a leper. We don't know his name. We just know his condition. We also know that Jesus was in the city when the story took place. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, he wasn't outside. We get that later, that, that he actually would have to spend time outside the town after doing miracles like this. But here Jesus is inside the town, and, and the leper was required to stay outside the town. This is what we're going to learn about here this morning. We're going to learn a lot about leprosy and, and the stuff that's required in the Old Testament for it because it, it kind of gives us a good understanding of everything that's taking place and the significance of it. But this man, the leper, is required to stay outside the town. So let me, let me kind of give you an illustration. So you guys are in the city. You're, you're in town here. You're doing business. You're talking to one another. And then there's this guy that has leprosy. Hopefully you can still hear me. This might be a little weird if no one can hear me and I'm standing outside talking. But this guy, making sure there aren't a whole lot of neighbors, this might be a little bit odd. This guy is a he's got leprosy. And he's required to stay outside the town, outside the city, and he everywhere he walks say, unclean, unclean. 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 Nobody's walking in front of the church right now. Let me say it. Unclean. 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 See, I'm too close to some of you already. Unclean. And this guy's outside the town. Jesus is inside the city, right? He's, he's outside, but Jesus is inside. And the man approached him. Let's look at what the, what the Old Testament said was supposed to happen. Le Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. Now that, that's to make you stand out. You had to shave your head so that you could stand out and be seen. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this leper was required to stay outside of the city, outside of contact with people. And in fact, what we, what we know from a Jewish tradition is that he had to stay six feet away, two paces away from the close, closest person. So here's Shane, so let's do two paces. This is the closest he could be to any other human. 
Now, if the wind was blowing, it was 50 paces. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Outside, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Outside. So if we were outdoors, I would to be he says 150 feet away from the nearest human I am unclean by the way if you've never been in the back you can go back there and look I basically had to go all the way back to the shed out there the farthest shed in the corner of the parking lot that's the closest I'm supposed to be if there's a wind blowing which there's a little breeze blowing so I would not be allowed to be anywhere closer than that to any of you because I I'm unclean. And in fact, if a clean person touched someone with leprosy, you're unclean. unclean. You're unclean. <laughs> oh, you're unclean. So now they're unclean. And what they have to do is they have to perform a ritual to become clean, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And, but they would stay unclean for seven days, and then on the eighth day, they would come before the priest, and the priest would see if the leprosy had spread to them. And if it had not, then they could be deemed clean, and they could enter back into the camp. But here, Jesus was in one of the towns, and a man came to him who was covered with leprosy. In the city... This man, who is one big oozing open wound from head to toe and is required to stay outside the city, comes into the city where Jesus is. This man with no name, the man who's only known by his condition in Scripture, that is how he is recorded. But this man with no name violates all the rules of his leprous condition. Because Jesus was in the town. He wasn't supposed to be near people who were clean, but still, he came, and what did he do? It says, when he saw Jesus, he, came, he had to come into the town, because that's where Jesus is in the story. <clears throat> when he saw Jesus, he bowed down with his face to the ground. And what does he say? He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. From this word used to describe the man, we can kind of get a picture, a little bit more of who he was and understanding the Greek word is aner or aner, which is a different word than normally is used when it's talking about man. So this word has a, a little bit different picture of the man tied to it. So this, this doesn't just mean that he's a male, that is a part of it, but, it, but it's often used to refer to someone who is 
a husband or a father. It's a more mature man, so an older man. So it's with reference to age, it's to distinguish an adult from a boy. He's not just a man without a name. He's not just the leper. He has a name. We don't know his name, but he had a name. He's a man, a a mature man, maybe a husband. He has a name, but his identity has been replaced with his condition. He might have been somebody's husband, but because of his condition, he couldn't be near his wife. He couldn't provide for his wife, which was how it was supposed to work in their culture. He might have been someone's father, but because of his condition, he couldn't be near his children, and he couldn't provide for his children. In fact, all he could do was observe his family from a distance, at best six feet. Can you imagine as a husband or as a father only being able to come this close to your family? This is what this man's reality was. This is how he was living. This is all that he knew. And so you can imagine what's going through this guy's mind. If God is good, how can this be happening to me? I mean, if God is good, how can I be going through this right now? You know, what's all this talk? God is great, God is good, but, but, but if he's good, then, then why am I suffering? And we get a, a picture of the man's desperation and the way he responded. He didn't care no more. I'm supposed to be outside the town, but, but I don't care about that no more. I'm supposed to keep my distance from all these other people, but, but I don't care about that no more neither. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life where you just don't care no more about any of that junk? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, okay, there's this thing in me that is broken, but I just don't care no more. He was so desperate that he was willing to break all of the rules just so he could get to Jesus. You ever been there? Maybe you haven't, but I know lots of us have. I don't care about the rules. I don't care about what people say I am and I'm not supposed to do. I think this might be a solution. And you can imagine how it went. He is in the leper colony outside of the city. He's on the outside of the town, right? He's not allowed to be inside. He's out there with all the other lepers who have skin diseases. And because of all the things that have been going on in the town, word had traveled outside the town to the leper colony, and they'd heard about what's going on. And there's this guy, Jesus. And this guy, Jesus, remember, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick. And And then that night, they spent the whole night healing people. People from all over the town came to Jesus, and he healed them. He's cast out demons, and and they've heard about that in this town. And and there was the miracle with the fish in the boats that everyone has heard about. There's this guy, Jesus, and and, and I've heard about him. And and I haven't seen my family for who knows how long, probably years. I haven't been touched by another human being in years. No pats on the back, no shaking of hands, no greeting one another with a kiss. I haven't been treated like a human for a long time. I'm covered from head to toe with this nasty disease and I don't have any other options. 
Everyone knows how this ends. Everyone knows how this goes down because everyone who goes out to the leper colony dies in the leper colony. They don't come back into the town. Most people don't get healed from leprosy. So we all know how this is going. My fate is sealed. I am dead. If I don't do something now, it might be too late. This might be my only chance. There have been other people that have come along and claimed to be able to heal, but none of us have been healed by these other people. This is my only opportunity, and it might cost me everything. It might even cost me my life, because what would happen if you came too close to others who were clean when you were unclean is you could actually be stoned to death, which is where they take you and they hurl great big stones as big as you can carry and smash you with them. It might actually cost him his life. But hey, if I stay out here, I'm going to die anyway, so what have I got to lose? This man is ready for a change. He's ready to be known. Well, throughout Scripture, leprosy is a picture It's used often to describe our sinful state. It's used kind of as as an illustration to reflect how we look to God. It's an illustration of how sin affects our lives. It's, It's not necessarily equated with God's judgment, on us because of sin. That's what we're going to look at next week when we talk about uh, paralysis as that was looked at as God's judgment. But, but it was just, it's just a picture throughout Scripture of how sin affects our lives. It's a visible, a visible picture of the destructive power of sin. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know one of our core beliefs is, is what the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 1, that we're all made in the image of God, that every human being on the planet is made in God's image. But now this man who is made in God's image is covered in head to toe with sores, with leprous spots. And just like his body has been marred by leprosy, sin mars our image before God. In fact, what the Bible teaches is that sin separates us from God. Sin puts a distance between us and God. So you can see that here with leprosy, that when you have leprosy, you can only come within six feet of someone. When, when you are a sinner, you are separated from God's presence. Psalm 5, verse 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Habakkuk 1.13 says, you who are purer of, of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In Revelation 21, 27, at the very end, says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, talking about God's presence in eternity, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean can enter into God's presence. And this man, though in visible form, is covered with leprosy. The condition of our hearts before God is the same as this man's physical condition. Sin separates us from God. Sin sin mars the image of God in us. 
What was this man's response? Well, let's go look at Peter's response back to kind of remind us when, when Peter was in the boat and, and Jesus performed this miracle where, where Peter led, was led to the fish, right? They'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught any fish. And then Jesus says, throw your nets over there. And they do, and they bring in a catch you know, much greater than they could, they could deal with. And Peter's response, verse 8 of chapter 5 says, When Simon Peter saw the catch, saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When he was in the Lord's presence, when he was in the presence of God, he realized his condition. And that should sound familiar if you've been around church. Maybe, maybe not, so let's go look it up. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 and 5 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here Isaiah, in, in this specific year, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's, how, it's a description of how glorious he was. And in verse 5, Isaiah's response, which sounds a whole lot like Peter's response, he says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. And John actually clarifies for us in his gospel that the Lord that Isaiah saw, the Lord that Isaiah is speaking of, is actually Jesus. And when Isaiah saw Jesus, his response was, I am unclean. I'm a sinful man. Peter's words were, were I, am, I am especially Wicked, I am stained with sin. And he says, go away from me, Lord. Go, get away from me, Jesus. They're out in the boat. Where's Jesus going to go? But he says, go away from me, Lord. You are too holy to be around a sinful worm like me. So here's this man covered in leprosy, the leper, Lee, we can call him for short isolated from all human contact, and Jesus is in town. And what does he do? He approaches Jesus. He risks his life. He puts everything on the line, and he comes, and what does he do? He falls to the ground before Jesus. With his face to the ground, it's a picture of groveling, of begging, of pleading, I'm calling it the, the position of submission. I'm unclean. I'm literally unclean. I'm as unclean as I could possibly be. And so here I come, Lord. And he starts with that same word that Peter eventually got to. Right, Peter, in his, uh, his, his interaction with Jesus, he started off calling him master. And then after he experienced who he really was, he called him Lord, and this man here starts with Lord. He's already believing in Jesus. He says, Lord. He comes to him in this position of submission, of complete surrender, and what does he say? He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You ever been there? Well, what does that mean? There is... You can make me clean. 
The word you can actually means power. He's saying, you have the power. You have the ability to make me clean. You are capable of making me clean. I've heard the stories. I know you can. Lord, you can make me clean. But will you? I know you can. I don't know if you will. I know you can. Are you willing? Here's the first principle that I think we can draw out of this text to apply to our lives today. It says, even if your life is covered from head to toe in the filth and stench of sin, humbly come to Jesus and he will make you clean. Even if your life is covered from head to toe, like this man was covered head to toe in leprous spots, if your life is covered from head to toe in the filth and stench of sin, humbly come to Jesus and he will make you clean. So we know in our minds that God is great, and it's easy for a lot of people, in fact, a lot of, a lot of people who would not call themselves believers would say that God is great, or at least they would, if they believe in God, they would say that God is powerful, right? We can see his power on display all around us. We can see his power on display right now at this very moment, how powerful God is by looking simply at Hawaii and the volcano erupting, and the volcano is just undoing decades of work. Humans worked for decades to build these towns and, and, and neighborhoods. And, and in an instant, in a moment, we see how powerful God is because this thing just bubbles up and destroys. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We can see God all around us. We see the power of God on display all around us. We know God is great. We know that he can. We just don't know if he will. We know God can heal. We just don't know if he will. We know God is great, but do we know that God is good? The leper calls him Lord and says, will you make me clean? He's in this position of humility. He's not demanding something of Jesus. He's not coming and saying, you have to make me clean, which is maybe how a lot of us would approach that situation. He's acknowledging Jesus' ability, his power, his greatness, and is asking for him to act. This is a little bit of an allusion to next week's sermon, but but this man showed great courage and faith by what he did. He broke all of the rules to get to Jesus, and that's because faith acts. Faith does not just speak, but faith acts. And when faith is stirred up in our hearts, when, when Jesus is the Lord of our hearts, we will react with our lives. When faith is stirred in our hearts, we react with our lives. Even if the cost is great, and even if it might cost us our very lives, we will act because faith acts. And we might be here this morning. We, we might know in our minds that God is great, but do you know in your heart that God is good? 
You might know intellectually that God is great and He has great power, but do you know in your heart that God is good? God's great power can be seen in Jesus' ability to heal, but God's endless love is seen in Jesus' ability to forgive. God is great. Do you know that God is good? How can we know if God is good? Well, let's look at Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 13. So he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus, the perfectly clean, the only perfectly clean, perfect spotless clean human to ever walk on this planet, the perfectly clean, he reached out and touched the unclean. He reached out and touched this man who hadn't been touched in years. We know it had probably been years because his condition was so severe that it had spread all over his whole body. It had probably been years since this man had been touched by another human. We know from Jesus' other miracles that he didn't have to touch the man. He could just speak the word and it would happen. In fact, we're going to see an episode where Jesus heals a man with a withered hand and and all he does is tells the man to stretch out his hand. And the man stretches out his hand and it's healed. Jesus didn't have to touch the man to heal the man and yet he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched the untouchable man. The perfectly clean touched the completely unclean. Jesus treated this man like a human, despite his physical condition. That's something else I think we can learn. Someone's physical condition does not necessitate treating them in an unhuman way. Someone might be physically marred by something, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't treat them as humans. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. I know you have the power, but will you use that power to heal me? I I, I know you can. I really want you to. God, God, I know you could. Would you? What is Jesus' response after he touched him? He touched him saying, I am willing. God is willing. God is willing. God is willing to act on our behalf. God is willing. God is good. Be clean. That word be clean with one word in Greek. It's just one word. It's not two words like we have in English. It's just one word. Be clean. He, he touches him and immediately when he says be clean, the, the leprosy left the man. God is great, God has the power, and God is good. He is willing. He didn't just do what was necessary. He could have just healed the man without touching him. He showed compassion for the man by touching him because he is good. He's he's good, and he will do what others would never do because he is good, and he is compassionate. God is great, and 
God is good. Verse 14, then he ordered the man to tell no one, but he commanded him, go and show yourself to a priest and bring the offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He commanded him, go and show yourself. It's an imperative. It's you have to do this. Go to the priest. Obey what the law said. Even though this man had just violated all the law, he told him to obey the law and go to the priest. He said, you need to do what the law says so that you can be deemed clean from leprosy. And why? He says, go and show yourself to a priest and bring the offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. Why? As a testimony to them. A witness testifies, right? That's what a testimony is. We, We as witnesses testify to God's Goodness, not just his greatness, but his goodness. The the world around us, the universe, testifies to his power. We, as changed people who were once unclean, who the condition of our hearts were stained with leprous, sinful spots, have now been made clean by by the goodness and the grace of God. We testify to the world that God is good. A witness testifies. That's what he says. Go and do these things as a testimony to them. But there's more to this than meets the eye. Jesus' command wasn't to go and tell everyone about it, even though that's probably what the man did based on the other accounts and the other Gospels. We definitely see that everyone in town heard about it, so, so we know that that took place. People were going to find out, though, regardless, even if he didn't say anything, because he's going to get reinstated back into the community, and people are going to see this man who used to have leprosy is clean and back living with the rest of us. So people were going to find out But his command wasn't to go and tell. His command wasn't to go and talk about it. Jesus' command was to go and do what is right by the law. This was the imperative that Jesus gave. This was you have to do this command that Jesus said. Not the telling, but the doing. And what were the things he was supposed to do? He was supposed to show himself to the priest and bring the offering as commanded by Moses. Could it be that maybe Jesus is more interested in what we do than what we say? It's easy to talk. It's an entirely different thing to live. But why would Jesus tell him to go to the priest? Why would Jesus say to go to the priest? Well, for one, when Jesus makes you clean, you do what he says. When Jesus makes you clean, you respond, right? Uh, I used to be covered in leprous spots, and now all at once, because Jesus said one word, I'm clean, uh, okay, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Kind of sounds like Peter, right? Because you say so, I will. John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we know the truth? When we hold to his teaching. John chapter 15, Jesus again speaking, says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. How do we remain in his love? If we keep his commands. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus commanded him, but there's more to the story. He commanded him, that's the first word, but then he says, go and show yourself to the priest. The priest Who is this priest, and what does he have to do with all of this? Well, the priest is the one who had the authority to reinstate this man, to declare that he was clean and get him back in to to community with other clean people. The priest had the authority to deem him clean. He could not heal him, but he had the authority to deem him clean. And if the priest said he was clean, then he could go back. He would no longer be condemned to the leper colony outside the town. So that's why he had to go to the priest, but there's more to it than that. Jesus said to do this as a witness to the priest. Well, how is what he's doing a witness to the priest? What does that mean as a, as a testimony to the priest? This is where things get really interesting, I think. I had to do a whole lot of extra research to, to, to figure this part out. But uh, there's a whole lot here. So, so bear with me. It might sound a little bit technical, but I think it'll pay off in the end. The priest knew the law, knew Moses' law, knew the commands, he knew all of the ceremonies, he knew all of the rituals, and he was the one that was responsible, the priests were the one that was, ones that were responsible for carrying out all of the laws as it pertained to the sacrifices and the rituals of the community. So the priest had the power to make him clean, but there was more to it than that because the priest was an instrument for the law. By doing this, by sending this man to the priest who would deem him clean because he would observe him, he would look him over head to toe and see if there were any spots and he would decide if he was clean. By doing this, the priest would actually become an expert witness to vindicate Jesus' miracle of making this man clean. He would become a witness to what Jesus had done by giving expert testimony because he is the expert in the law. He would validate through the law what Jesus had done. And then he would perform this ritual, this this sacrifice. Now, in fact, there's a lot more to the sacrificial part of of becoming clean after you have had leprosy. This is just the first part of it, but this is all the time that we have. There's a lot more to it than this. So Leviticus chapter 14, verse 2. This is going to sound really weird. By the way, this is not PETA approved. So uh, if, if you're hearing this and you're worried about the ethical treatment of animals, that wasn't so much a concern back in this time. So Um, Leviticus chapter 14 verse 2 says these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priests all right so if you want to be clean this is what you have to do the priest (coughs) is to go (coughs) excuse me outside the camp and examine them which we have a violation of the law right there right Jesus said to go to the priest the priest was supposed to come outside the camp I don't know what to make of that Go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order 
that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. So two clean birds, a cedar board, right? Like a cedar fence board is probably what comes to mind for us. A cedar board, some scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water, which they called living water, be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. So you kill the one bird. Sorry if that's gross for you. It's going to get worse. He is then to take the live bird. So you kill, you kill the one bird over the water and, and let its blood drain out into the water. Then you take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird and the open fields. Does that make perfect sense to everyone? All right, so let's kind of try to get a picture of it. Let's try to gain some understanding. Two birds. One lives and one dies, right? One's a sacrifice, one flies away. We've got cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. There's the sacrifice of one bird over living water, so the blood of the bird goes into the water. Then they take the living bird, tie it to the hyssop and the cedar wood with the scarlet yarn, and they dip the living bird into the bloody water. They then take some of that bloody water and sprinkle it, which is interesting. They take dirty, bloody water and sprinkle it on someone to pronounce them clean. But they sprinkle the bloody water on the one who has been healed of leprosy and pronounce them clean. And then after all of this, they go and set the bird free, the one that's alive. Well, what does all this mean? When we look at this, we get really a great picture of Jesus. We get a great picture of what it was Jesus would do to provide for our cleansing. There's this bird that dies and becomes the sacrifice. It literally gives its blood for the cleansing of the leper. There's the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch. And these represent things throughout Scripture like cedar represents human pride. It's possible the Eastern Orthodox Church holds that the cross that Jesus was crucified on was made out of cedar, pine, and cypress. It's possible. That's not a sure thing, but could be. The scarlet yarn represents blood, which is required for atonement. It's interesting how how they would get the scarlet yarn. The scarlet yarn, it would be like a, a mother beetle would lay eggs, right? And then, and then the beetle, this beetle would, would basically hover over the eggs to protect it. And as the eggs or the larva grew, they would grow into the beetle and the beetle would start to bleed. It would start to die. It would start to literally give its life. And then the red scarlet that would come out is what they would use. They would take this scarlet color and, and use it to make the scarlet yarn. So literally, the one was giving its life for the other. The hyssop branch we talked about a couple years ago at Easter, it, it represents purification and salvation. 
In the Old Testament, they used a hyssop branch, probably just because it was common and it was around. But they said to take this hyssop branch and and dip it in the blood of the lamb. This is on the Passover. And then paint your doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And then if your doorposts were painted, then when, when God came and he was going to take all of the firstborn among the Egyptians, if there was blood over your doorpost, he would pass over your house and you would be clean. And they would do that with the hyssop branch. And then And then when Jesus is being crucified on the cross, they give him the wine vinegar. Remember that? It's the corrupted wine. It's wine that had been let go and turned into vinegar. They offer this wine vinegar to Jesus on a branch of of hyssop. So this corrupted wine was offered to Jesus on a branch of hyssop. And the bird then is tied to the hyssop and the cedar, and it's dipped, not fully, but it's dipped or dunked or baptized into the sacrifice. It's baptized into the cleansing living water. This, this bird that's tied with the hyssop and the cedar and the scarlet yarn is dipped into the cleansing living water. And then after the man has been made clean, it gets to fly free. Jesus was sending this man to go to the priest and present the offering. This was the offering for his cleansing. The priest then would be required to perform this ritual of cleansing. The priest would have to go through this ritual so that the man could be set free back into the city. And then shortly after this, Jesus would, with his own body, be crucified on a cross made of wood. He, the firstborn, that's one of the things about the scarlet yarn. I didn't mention that the scarlet yarn, the scarlet thread was used in the Old Testament to mark the firstborn among twins. And there's this interesting story where one, one of the firstborn that is being born reaches his hand out and so, or a foot out or something, I can't quite remember, and they tie the yarn around it and then pulls his hand back in and then the other, other kid is born first, so they have to correct it. That's the whole story. But, but the firstborn gets the, gets the yarn so that they know which one was the firstborn because that was a big deal in their culture. And so Jesus, with his own body, gets crucified on a cross made of wood, which he created, by the way. He is the firstborn among all creation. He drinks the corrupted wine off of the hyssop branch, and in fact, he is crucified because God's people had corrupted the covenant because everyone on the planet had corrupted the covenant because sin separates us from God, and he offers his life as the atonement for our sins, as the sacrifice for our sins. And he doesn't just do that. He also, so that, there's a reason, there's a purpose for him doing that. If we would follow him, like the second bird, into a death like his, if we would be baptized, this should sound familiar, into a death like his, that we can then receive a life like his where he would ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father, and he would be, and we as a result would be set free from the law of sin and death. Go to the priest. Why? Because that priest is going to testify about me and he doesn't even know it. 
See, because the law, the Old Testament law, pointed to Jesus Christ. As we read through the Old Testament, we see all these pictures that are pointing to Jesus. They, they all paved the way for Jesus. And so he would go and, and he, would, he would himself testify that he was clean. The priest would vindicate the testimony. And actually, Moses' law, the law that God gave through the Lord, right, that God gave and, and told Moses that the one that pointed to Jesus all along, that would testify to the Messiah, to who Jesus was. When Jesus makes you clean, you're really, really clean. And when Jesus makes you clean, you're set free. It's like that bird, set free. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is a picture of Christ's sacrifice, and, and it's a witness to the validity of Christ as the Messiah. Here are a couple of scriptures to help you understand this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 15 says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle than the one that existed and was built by human hands. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. So he went through something that exists outside of what we see built by human hands. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The redemption that was offered in the Old Testament was always temporary. It didn't last. They had to keep offering sacrifices over and over again, but this was permanent. It was eternal. And so it says that in verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled. By the way, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled also uses the same hyssop and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and birds, as, or I don't think about the birds, but it's the hyssop branch and the cedar and the yarn as a part of that sacrifice as well. So the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ, this man was pronounced clean because of the sacrifice of the bird, but how much more will the blood of Christ make our consciences clean from the acts that lead to death? It will cleanse our hearts from the leprous conditions of our sin-marred hearts so that we can serve the living God. And he finishes this out. For this reason, because of this, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, which we're going to celebrate in just a minute of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Christ died to set us free. The picture for us is that bird being set free, flying away. Christ died to set us free, to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. We have been set free to serve. We've been set free to serve the living God. We've been set free to come before God and assume the position of submission 
and say, I am yours, do with me as you please. You have made me clean, I am your servant from this point forward. I no longer live to please myself, I am yours to do with as you please. You have set me free, send me now off to live out that freedom in a way that best serves your kingdom purposes. This is the position that we have been given as a gift to God. We are now supposed to use our life as a living witness to testify to the freedom that we've received in Christ. Are we? Isaiah chapter 118 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Though we were stained in the stench and the filth of sin, we are now clean. We are white as snow. Is our life a living witness of the one who made us clean? See, when you've been unclean and you've been made clean, you kind of get overwhelmed with the goodness of God. When we were unclean and now we have been given the gift of clean standing before the righteous judge, now, now we are seen as righteous, now, now we are overflowing with how good God is. God is so good. And these questions that we started with, all of a sudden, they, they start to come into perspective. We start to find some understanding to them. If God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? Well, the reason there's so much evil in the world is because the hearts of people are consumed with themselves, because we rebelled against God back at the beginning in the garden, and the whole of creation is cursed as a result of our rebellion against God. So, so yes, God is good, but we are after our own pursuits in this world, so there's a lot of evil in this world. Why is there so much evil? Because our hearts are consumed with ourselves. See, God is good, but His goodness is not for the benefit of my selfish heart. His goodness is not for the benefit of my selfishness. Often when we come to God and we're praying to God and we're saying, God, we need you to do something, Go, I, I know you can, but, but will you do this? we start to become the predictors of how God should act and we start to impose on him our expectations of how he should respond to our situation. But God's goodness is not for the benefit of my selfish heart. Oftentimes I've learned in my life that God's good is different than my good. And if God had done what I thought was good at the time, I would not have been blessed like God wanted me to bless, be blessed. Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, all things, the good things, the bad things, the in-between things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Are we called according to his purpose, or are we trying to get God to act according to our own purpose? For called according to his purpose, we have the promise and the assurance that God is for us. We see in verse 31, God is for us and nothing can stand against us. If God is for us, and if God is for us, if, we, if our hearts are called according to his purpose and God is for us, then we know that in all things, no matter what the valley is that we're walking through at this very moment in our lives, no matter how difficult the situation is that we are trudging through, no matter how hard the through is, that the through is that we're walking, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter how difficult the through is, God is for me, and I know that he's going to work all of this out for the good. 
Because God is good. He's not just great. God is for us, not against us. God is most definitely good. If you're not sure of that, let me just show you a a few scriptures, one of which we heard last week in our sharing time, which was a great experience. Loved hearing all of the testimonies and the stories of how God is working in our body. It was a great, a great day. But Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 31, verse 19 and 20. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. God's goodness is in abundance. It's not in shortage. It is in abundance. How good, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, for those who are in the position of submission. How, how abundant are his good things for us that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Psalm eighty-four, eleven: For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk whose walk is blameless. Are we in a position of submission? Because if we are, the Lord is good. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. This world will constantly try to lure us away, and it's constantly changing and shifting, and the shadows of it are alluring, but God is good, and he does not change like the world around us, and every good and perfect gift in our lives comes down from from him. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, give thanks Thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. God's goodness is not a temporary quality that God has. It is an eternal part of his nature. God is good. His love endures forever. God is most definitely good. The only way to know in our hearts that God is good is to come before him humbly and worship at his feet. We have to take this position of submission and let God be the God of all of us, especially the God of our hearts. You might have in your mind agreed with a lot of what I've said this morning, but is God the God of your heart? Has God gotten all the way down to the deepest part of who you are, where where your motives, your affections, and your desires are now changed before God, and, and all of your attention and affection is put on the one who has been so good to you, who has who has cleansed your heart of all of its sinful diseases, and is your heart overwhelmed with gratitude that this God would do such a great thing for me? Are we obsessed with God? Are we, are we loving God with all of our hearts, or are we trying to save back part of our hearts for ourselves? God is great, and God is good. Would you stand? Ask if you would bow your head, close your eyes. If you would, I'd like you to think with me. Let your mind just go back here with me, if you will. 
go back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. The night that Jesus would embrace and receive in his own flesh, on his own body, the consequences of the sins of the world. I would start by, by being betrayed. Jesus was betrayed by one of the twelve, one of the ones in his closest group of friends. He would endure five or six different trials throughout the course of the night. He would be questioned tirelessly. He would be beaten. His body would be marred, torn to shreds, literally. They would mock him, they would spit on him, they would hurl insults at him. He would be the recipient of the sinful state of the hearts of man. Not only would he receive that in the form of insults, but he would literally put it on as he would carry his cross, as he would be nailed to that cross, and as he would be exposed naked and ashamed to be mocked by all who passed by, he would literally put on our sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Jesus would literally be clothed in the sinful flesh of humanity. The clean would put on the unclean. Not because anyone forced him, but he did it of his own will, of his own choosing. He put on the stench and filth of my sin. He put on the stench and filth of our sin. He chose to willingly put on the stench and filth of our rebelliousness against God and take it with him to the cross where he would become the sacrifice for it, where he would pour out his blood, every last drop of blood and his the water and blood would run out. He would become literally the living water for us. And as he hung on that cross, still forgiveness was on his, on his mind. He was still about the work of the Father while he was going through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He has offered that forgiveness to us who have sinned against God. 
Then he took all of that sin and he absorbed all of the wrath God had for all of humanity, for sinning and rebelling against him. He absorbed that in his flesh. And with his last few words, he would breathe out this statement that says, it is finished. He had finished. He had in his own body, in his own flesh and blood, he had fulfilled all of the commands of the law that had been given so many years before to Moses. He had in his own body fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. The the perfect spotless lamb was crucified for the stains of the world. And though our sins were as scarlet, he poured out his scarlet blood to wash us white as snow. Is God good? Let's look at what God did for you. God is most definitely good. He died, breathed his last. A few days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Sin no longer has a hold on him. Death no longer has a hold on him. And through this death and resurrection, he gives us the opportunity to enter into a life like his if we enter into a death like his. If we follow him into his death, if we die to who we were, die to our selfish pursuits die to our attempts to make God our servant and we become his servant and if we die to who we were before Christ and now we are buried with him through baptism and then raised to new life in Christ just like Christ was raised and resurrected from the dead we too become new life continual resurrection life rising up within us we become the resurrection as a gift of God the free gift of God we receive the resurrection in us as a gift from God he has done this for us because he is good. Do you see it? Not just with your mind's eye, but do you see it in your heart? Do you know this morning that God is good in your heart? Do you know God is good to the depth of who you are? God is most definitely good. If you're here this morning, And he would say, I've been, I've been trying to make God do my thing. I've been trying to make God live according to my purposes. I've been trying to get God to do what I want God to do, not coming to him in the position of submission. If you are here this morning and you say, I'm ready to submit, I'm ready to surrender, I'm ready to give it all so that I can receive the, all of the goodness that God has for me. If you're here and you're ready to walk from death to life, maybe you're, maybe you've been alive before and you just kind of drifted back into old habits and patterns, but you're ready to step back into the light, back into the life that God has for you, this good life that he has. If you're here and you're ready to say, I know God works for the good for those that are called according to his purposes, and I want to stand here this morning and be called according to his purpose for my life. If that is you, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah. You can put your hands down. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for those hands that were raised, those hands that want to say, I want to be called according to his purpose. Not my purpose, his purpose. Not my will, but his will. Not my desires, but his desires. Not, not my longings, but his longings. Those who, who have raised their hands say, I'm ready to, to take that step again today, that, that I, I want to put my faith in the one who created faith. I want to put my faith in the one who is good and desires good for me, who's walking with me through every moment of my life. I thank you that they've raised their hands and wanted to take that step. Now, Father, I pray in this moment that you would fill them with the promised Holy Spirit, the, the one guaranteeing our inheritance in the kingdom of God, the one you promised to send. I pray that you would fill them with that resurrection power of the Spirit of Christ, that they may be able to walk out of this place and be overflowing with the goodness of God, and that the, the lives that they lead outside of here from this moment forward would be pouring out God's goodness because they are so grateful for how good God is. I pray, Father, for all of us as we have stepped into this marvelous light, this light that, that illuminates all the things in our hearts that you don't want there. I thank you that as you have called us out of the darkness and into the light, let us be the people who live our lives as a witness to God's goodness. Not just as a witness to his power, but as a witness to his goodness, that God is good. He is willing to reach out and touch the unclean. Let us be willing to reach out and touch anyone who comes across our path, that we may show compassion and your kindness to them. Father, let us be the kind of people that love without condition, without expectation of return, that we just love because we have been so greatly loved, that your love is pouring and welling up within us like a spring of life, an eternal spring of living, living water that has filled our souls with the goodness of God, and it flows up out of our hearts into our lives, and we cannot help but live out what God has given us because we are so overwhelmed, so consumed, so full of the love of God that we cannot help but spill out the love of God on the world around us. And Father, let us go as your people and live and boldly shine as witnesses to the world that does not believe that they may see God is great and God is good. In Jesus name.